This podcast is made possible by thousands of dedicated listeners just like you. Be a part of this powerful three-decade legacy of evangelization by visiting materdayradio.com or downloading the Hail Mary media app. And thank you for joining us on the bridge between your faith and everyday life. Bringing you a common sense and fresh perspective to creating a just society. This is Common Sense on Social Justice. You'll get equipped with the tools you need to carry out social justice right where you are. Now, here's the host of Common Sense on Social Justice, Michael Davis. Thank you so much for joining us today. We're glad you're here again as we continue our look at the compendium of the social doctrine of the church and as we wind down towards it as well, because we are in chapter 11 today of 12 chapters, and we've covered a lot over the last several weeks. And uh, we're looking now uh, at a subject, again, that really hits home to all of us, and that is creating world peace, creating peace in society and the world. Why? That is a question I often ask for various reasons. It helps me to get below the surface and to the real answers. We all want world peace, uh, an end to violence and war. So why? Why do we not see it if it is something we all want? The Compendium puts forth that out of justice grows peace. And so today we're going to look at how to promote and realize peace and justice. A few years ago, I saw a bumper sticker on the back of several cars that said, I am already against the next war. People want peace. People want an end to war, but we don't seem to see it. So let's break that down today. So we're going to ask the first question is, what is peace? What is peace? In chapter uh, 488 and 489, rather, paragraphs of chapter 12, the Pontifical Council speaks on to this issue about what peace is. It says that before being God's gift to man and a human project in conformity with the divine plan, peace is, in the first place, a basic attribute of God. It says in Judges, in the Old Testament of the Bible, Judges chapter 6, verse 24, that the Lord is peace. Uh, It goes on to say that creation, which is a reflection of the divine glory, aspires to peace. God created all that exists, and all of creation forms a harmonious whole that is good in its every part. Peace is founded on the primary relationship that exists between every human being and God himself, a relationship marked by righteousness. Following upon the voluntary act by which man altered the divine order, the world experienced the shedding of blood and division. Violence made its appearance in interpersonal relationships, according to Genesis chapter 4, and in social relationships, Genesis chapter 11. Peace and violence cannot dwell together, and where there is violence, God cannot be present, it says in 1 Chronicles 22. And so we've got this this, uh, truth that the Creator is peace. 
Not that the creator gives peace. The creator is peace. And when humans decided to move into duality and to move out of unity with the creator, then violence appeared. And because violence appeared, left peace went away. You can't have violence and peace hand in hand. And therefore, uh, now we've got these problems and God cannot be present. When God is not present, then there is not peace. In uh, paragraph 489, it says, In biblical revelation, peace is much more than the simple absence of war. Now, I think in our society, this is a very important point that we think that if we don't have war, then we have peace. But the Pontifical Council says, in Revelation, peace is much more than the simple absence of war. It represents the fullness of life. Malachi, the prophet Malachi, in his writing, Malachi chapter 2 says, Far from being the work of human hands, peace is one of the greatest gifts that God offers to all men and women, and it involves obedience to the divine plan. Peace is the effect of the blessing that God bestows upon his people. And then they quote some scriptures uh, to show that. And so we realize then peace is not the absence of war. Peace is a reality. It is a way of being, as they said, it is the fullness of life. And therefore, uh, peace comes about when people are free to thrive. When people are pushed down and oppressed, then you have violence because that duality enters into the scene. And therefore, I can only have peace. Like, for example, in a, in a relationship, I can only have peace as both people in the relationship are experiencing fullness of life. But when there's oppression that enters in and separation, then you're left with violence. Violence through arguments, violence through... Um, you know, words, and even physical violence. So peace is a way of being. It is not something to achieve. When we do not have peace, we have to look inside ourselves and see what needs corrected. As I have said many times, violence comes when we believe ourselves to be separate from the other. When we believe our way is the way. Uh, there was a time in the Gospels where Jesus had a teaching moment with James and John, two of his disciples. And the Pharisees and the religious leaders of Israel were giving the disciples problems. And so the James and John's big solution to this was, hey, Jesus, imagine this, James and John, Jesus all standing there, and James and John says, hey, Jesus, call down fire from heaven. And have God consume these people with fire. And Jesus looks at him and said, you're kidding, right? Do you really think that's the nature of God is to consume people with fire? Uh, so Jesus gave James and John the nickname Sons of Thunder. And what James and John were experiencing in that moment is they were experiencing duality. They were believing that they were separate from the religious leaders, 
and they also believed they were superior. Because if you're going to call fire down somebody, you're going to say, I'm perfect and you're not, therefore you deserve to die. That's what they were experiencing. And Jesus calls them sons of thunder and has a confrontation with them. A teaching moment says, look, guys, that's not the nature of God. It's not the nature of the Heavenly Father. The nature of the Heavenly Father is to love and to bless. Even Jesus, you know, gave the parables that the Father in heaven causes rain to fall on the fields of the good and the wicked farmer and causes the sun to shine on the fields of the good and wicked farmer. God, the Father, causes the the land to produce food from the field of the good and wicked farmer. In other words, God doesn't live in duality. God is one with his creation. And so Jesus had to correct James and John that, and of course, correcting us as well. What Jesus wanted from John and James in that moment was that they would, would see unity with these religious leaders, despite their what the religious leaders were doing to people and doing the disciples. Jesus wanted them to say, you are one with them because you and them, we all come from the Father. Now, John the Baptist... who was Jesus' cousin, was called the forerunner uh, of Jesus, uh, of the Messiah. So before Jesus came on the scene, his cousin John the Baptist comes on the scene out in the desert as a wild man, and he begins uh, preaching. And he preaches a message of justice. And he said all kinds of things to different people, but one of the things he said to the military people, the Roman soldiers who were the police officers of that day and also the ones that kept everything controlled in society, he says to these Roman soldiers, he says, you know, you guys need to to stop exploiting people. Stop taking from people and knock off your violence. John the Baptist preached a message of peace and of justice. And so from John's, you know, uh, teachings, we learn other things like uh, he tells people, if you have two coats and your neighbor needs a coat, give a coat to your neighbor. If your neighbor, if you've got two robes and your neighbor's without, give to your neighbor. He tells the taxpayers, quit exploiting people. All these things, what John the Baptist was saying is there is a way of peace and violence is not the answer. Violence is not the way of creation. And peace lives out itself, according to John the Baptist, it lives out itself through giving, through sharing. So peace is not a feeling. It's not something that a positive feeling or a positive thought I have towards you. No, it causes me to take action. And so if I have two coats and you don't have a coat and you're cold, then it is violence for me to keep one of those coats to myself. According to John the Baptist, the way of peace is that I share so that you too may be warm. You know, St. James says, don't pray for somebody who's hungry and don't say to them, oh, I hope you be warm and well-fed. No, give them some food. St. James says in the scriptures, don't 
pray for the hungry, feed them. In other words, act in peace towards them. And I think we often think of violence, by the way, and lack of peace as absence of war or violence is war or people shooting with guns. No, to have means and to not share with the poor is an act of violence. That's why I have issues with government officials for like a million reasons. Here's another reason. I'm tired of government officials trying to take guns away from citizens in an effort to stop violence, but they don't give a damn about the poor. That they live in mansions on Martha's Vineyard and they have several homes, private security. They have all this wealthy lifestyles and they don't do anything. Nothing real for the poor. Government officials that do that are acting in violence. They can take away our guns in the name of getting rid of violence, but they're still acting violently themselves by living these extreme wealth lifestyles while doing nothing. Nothing real, nothing of substance for the poor. Now, that's what peace is. Now, the next question I want us to answer in this is why peace? Why should we strive for peace? Well, the main reason is because peace is what we were made for. We came, if God is peace, then we came from peace and we were made for peace. It's within us. That's why everybody wants it. Even people that don't acknowledge that there's a God, that there's a creator, even they want peace. Why? Because whether they acknowledge it or not, they were made by the creator for peace. Peace comes from unity. That's another reason why peace, it comes from unity. In the Genesis narrative, you have Adam and Eve in the garden, and they had unity within themselves they had unity with God and they had unity with each other. But then when they realized the duality of good and evil, which by the way, that tree they were commanded not to eat from was the tree of knowledge of what? Good and evil. In other words, the tree of duality. <laughs> Notice that the tree of life was a tree of oneness. It was just the tree of life. But the other tree was the knowledge of duality, good and evil. And when they realized and partook in that duality of good and evil, then they lost that unity. And because they lost that unity within themselves, with God, and with each other, then they lost peace. And they went to war with each other. I mean, you look at that. Here they're in communion with the Creator, with each other, within themselves. And then as soon as they gave in to the duality of good and evil, suddenly God confronts them and says, where are you? And Adam says, that woman you gave me caused me to eat from that tree. It's her fault and it's your fault for making her. Adam immediately, upon losing unity and choosing duality, he immediately went to war with God and went to war with his wife. And then <clears throat> Eve blamed the serpent for her decision and immediately went to war with the animal kingdom. And so what did God say your punishment? And by the way, it's not a punishment. Don't think of the punishment that God speaks to Adam and Eve as a punishment that God inflicted. 
no the god told eve she would that her pains and childbirth would greatly increase that adam would would work hard would work the ground and farm very hard by the sweat of his brow and not be able to produce much from that work and it wasn't that god was purposely saying i'm going to do this do you know god's like okay you chose duality well here's Here's the karma. Here's the outcome of that. You've lost peace with all of creation. You've lost unity with it. And so upon, upon them separating themselves in their minds from the God of peace and from each other with them and themselves, they immediately went to war. And what was the next step? Their son Cain murdered his brother Abel. Suddenly there's violence everywhere. Why? Because peace is gone. And where there's no peace and where there's no unity, violence fills the void. And by the way, I'll say this is that too, is that when at the beginning I said that a violent or peace is not just the absence of war because you can't just take out the violence and then leave a void. No, you, you can't really get rid of violence. What you do is you come back into unity and become peace. And then the violence just disappears because violence cannot exist with peace. Uh, St. Paul in his writings in the scripture speaks at various places of how Christ is the unifying conduit between man and God. Christ, St. Paul says, Christ is our peace. Christ makes peace. So we now must realize that in order to have world peace, that peace is a person, capital P. Peace is a divine person. We become peace with God and within ourselves, thus becoming peace to others. And that is why we do not have peace in the world is because we are at war with ourselves. Do you have those days where you really sense the war within yourself? I'm happy. I'm sad. I'm depressed. I'm joyful. I love you. I hate you back and forth. I love the weather. I hate the weather. I'm, you know, on and on we go. We are at war within ourselves and therefore, we're at war with each other. If we make peace within ourselves, which, by the way, is where God dwells, as the Taoist will tell you, if you want to find God, look under your nose. <laughs> yeah, if you want peace, if you have, if we make peace within ourselves, where God dwells, then we're able to make peace with others. It's that simple. You know, St. John makes it clear in his first letter uh, in 1 John that our relationship to God is inextricably, uh, inextricably linked to our relationship with each other. So St. John says, if you love God, you must love your brother. And St. John says, if you hate your brother, then you hate God. There's no separation between your brother and God. And so we, so that's why we need to be 
at peace because that's what we're made for. That's where joy happens. That's where real life happens. And if you're not experiencing peace with others, you got to look inside and say, where am I not at peace with myself and with God? Now, who makes peace? The compendium asked this question, who is responsible for making world peace and peace in society? Uh, well, it shows in paragraph 494 and following that every person is responsible for the promotion of peace. It is not up to the government. It is up to you. You are the one who's responsible for making peace in society. And so am I. Everybody, nobody is exempt. Everybody is responsible. Are you at war within yourself? Are you at war with your spouse? Are you at war with your family? Are you at war with your friends? Then how can peace exist? If you're at war with your family and friends and at war with yourself, at war with God, then who cares what Kim Jong-un in North Korea is doing? Who cares? It starts right there with you. You know, the gist of this podcast is creating a just society right where you are. Well, creating a peaceful world, it happens right where you are within yourself. Until that happens, there will not be world peace. Now, let's talk about war for a minute. Since that is a big outcome of lack of peace, the compendium brings out how war is the failure of peace. It speaks to peaceful means dealing with conflict and terrorism and defending the innocent who are oppressed by military aggression. I'm not going to get into this today because we've covered it uh, a few episodes ago and we went into detail. So I don't want to repeat myself, but I encourage you to, re to read in the compendium about this and to read chapter 11 about war. But just know this, that war is not the answer. It never is the answer. War is the total breakdown of all that is good. There are so many other legitimate ways to deal with a naughty brother or sister who is exerting power over the innocent. You know, sometimes we sort of fantasize, I guess you will, for lack of a better word, that World War II was a good thing. Got rid of Hitler, got rid of the Nazis, all that. Well, first of all, I want to, to break your bubble here, okay? I want to shatter your dream. World War II did not end the Nazi regime. The Nazis are alive and well in the world. If you want to, you can read on the internet about the Fourth Reich, all over the world in various countries, including in the United States, is the Fourth Reich is making its appearance, which is a follow-up of the Third Reich under Hitler. You know, there's dictatorships everywhere. World War II did not create peace. Created a bunch of agreements, maybe, whether or not those agreements have been upheld. <laughs> World War II did not create peace. Just created a bunch of violence, created a bunch of millions of dead people. You say, well, Hitler was slaughtering all these people. I get that. 
I like I said, <laughs> we have to deal with naughty brothers and sisters. But there's so many legitimate means to take care of that besides going to World War. World War II was a complete breakdown of all that is good. And it wasn't from God, because God is peace. Now, since the compendium of the social doctrine of church comes from the church, let's talk about the church for a minute. Let's talk about the church as a conduit of peace. And this is very important because the Holy Catholic Church has had its moments of violence in history, as we're all aware of. And by the way, for those listening who are Protestants or maybe anti-Catholic, it's not necessarily fair to judge the church continuously for its violent past because the church has publicly repented. Uh, in the Council of Trent, the church publicly repented of its violent ways and corrupt ways. In the Second Vatican Council II uh, in the 1960s, the church stated it continues its repentance from past actions. The church makes mistakes and does bad things from time to time. It's made up of humans. But it also has a habit of repenting as well. And so the church can be a sign of peace, a conduit peace. And the church is to be the sacrament or sign of peace to the world. A sacrament is a sign. It's a visible sign. So like the sacrament of the Eucharist, where the bread and wine transform into the body and blood of Christ, that is a visible sign of Christ to us. And so the church is to be a visible sign, a sacrament of peace to the world. How? Well, there's a few ways. One of them is through the sacrament of reconciliation. A lot of people call it confession. It's been changed to now being called the sacrament of reconciliation. But every time you go and confess to a priest, which you're not really actually confessing to a priest, because the priest is acting in persona Christi, in other words, in the person of Christ, Christ went back up into heaven, said, I'm going to let the apostles and their successors be me <laughs> to the world. And so when you go confess your sins and your struggles, you know, what's happening in that moment? Peace, reconciliation, a sign of reconciliation is happening there. Peace is being restored. Unity is being restored. Uh, another way, besides the sacrament of reconciliation and other sacraments, the church is a conduit through radical forgiveness. So when you go to confession and that priest says, I absolve you of your sins, what's happening in that moment? Radical forgiveness. But not just that. We'll talk about that in community in just a moment. But in those sacraments, you're experiencing a radical, because <laughs> some of the things, I can only imagine some of the things that priests hear people confess. And when that priest hears those extremely dark acts by people, and that priest says, I absolve you, radical forgiveness is happening in that moment. And we'll talk about that with each other in just a moment. Now, there's a book. Now, by mentioning this book to you, I'm not getting any 
money from promoting this. This is just a book in my personal library that I love. And I encourage you to read it too. It's called Embodying Forgiveness. Embody, E-M-B-O-D-Y-I-N-G. Embodying Forgiveness, a Theological Analysis by L. Gregory Jones. One of my favorites. It's a call to radical forgiveness. I love it. And then another way the church is a conduit of peace, a sign of peace to the world, is through practicing radical community. There are several one another's in the New Testament throughout the writings of the New Testament of the Bible. There are several one another's that are mentioned that were to practice with each other from both Saints Peter and Paul. And those one another's and so and St. James as well were to practice forgiving. St. Paul says, forgive one another out of love. Bear one another's burdens. Love one another. Pray for one another. Encourage one another. Correct or admonish one another. And on and on. There's, there's many one another's in the New Testament writings. But through that radical community, if people chose in community to say, we're going to live peace by forgiving each other, by being patient with one another, by praying for one another, by encouraging one another, by taking on each other's burdens. If that happened, then the church becomes a conduit of peace to the world, a sign. And what that means, a sign of peace means, hey, world, look what we're doing and imitate that. But the reason why the world isn't imitating that is because at the moment there's nothing to imitate. Because <laughs> what the world sees in the church is gossiping, fighting, arguing, rugged individualism, and on and on. So we have to learn again. And if you're a priest or a deacon who's listening to this podcast, I really encourage you to help your parish become a radical community of peace yeah if you need clues into how to do that read the writings of dorothy day god bless dorothy day one of jesus last words on earth was my peace i give you not as the world gives my peace i give you not as the world gives. And Jesus said that within the context of the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire believed that peace comes through violence. By the way, the United States and England practice as that too, don't we? We should get peace in North Korea by killing a bunch of people with bombs. See, peace through violence. That never works. No, Jesus says, my peace I give you, not as the world gives. Because Jesus says, my peace comes to you through unity, through relationship. Peace can be realized, but not through a bumper sticker, not through a sign in your yard or through a positive feeling. Peace comes through radically, uh, through the radically tough act of being unified with God, unified with yourself, and then becoming unified with others. It comes through the tough work of forgiveness 
and justice. May we realize peace as we create a society of peace right where we are. You've been listening to Common Sense on Social Justice with your host, Michael Davis. A common sense and fresh perspective to creating justice where you are. Share your comments and questions with Michael by emailing sjcommonsense at gmail.com. That's sjcommonsense at gmail.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider sharing it with a friend. You can support this vital mission of evangelization through materdayradio.com or the Hail Mary media app. And thank you for helping us lead souls to Jesus through the Blessed Virgin Mary.